I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello there, guys, and welcome to the Double Clutch NBA Podcast. I'm your, well, one of you is your host, Joe Holbert, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Thomas Robry. Hello again, buddy. Right, so we uh, we did record one last week, but to be honest, we were talking about Jeff Teague last week, but now that storyline's developed, so we decided to just uh, get rid of the other podcast. And So, yeah, luckily uh, we could get it again. So we're going to dive right in, as we always do. Dwight Howard today, it was actually Thomas who broke news to me that there are, I wouldn't say there are advanced talks, but there are talks going on with Boston. First of all, before we talk about the logistics and stuff, what did you make of of when you saw the news? I saw it and instantly thought this would make sense for both teams, depending on the players involved. And I, I really do think it would make sense for both teams. Yeah, so do I. We'll, we'll start with Houston's side of it. I think one of the reasons Houston should do this is because I think Clint Capella has stepped in as a very serviceable NBA centre. And I also think that they don't need a centre like Howard for the way they play because they move the ball quite quickly and they run a fair bit of ISO at times as well. I'm not sure they really... Yeah, I'm not sure they really need to to get rid of him. I don't think Howard fits them anymore. He does have the occasional game where he can go off. Like I think the one game he had was like 36 points and 23 rebounds, something ridiculous like that. But Howard's best when you play outside in, you just shoot a lot of threes. And the Rockets do do that, but they're trying to move away from it under J.B. Bickerstaff. And I think you move Howard, you can get pieces that fit that better. Which Boston have? Yes, I mean, what we'll, we'll go on a rant soon about the Celtics. That's uh, that's for later. That's not for now. But what kind of pieces do you think Boston would have to give up to get Howard if it happens? Of course. Well, a trade proposal a friend of mine said was um, you do David Lee, who's an expiring contract, either Kelly Olynyk or Tyler Zeller. I think it's Tyler Cody Zeller, which is whichever Zeller. Plus, um, God, what's the other bit? Uh, a, a future pick and Avery Bradley. So you go Bradley, Zeller, or Linick and Lee for Dwight Howard, and I think KJ McDaniels to even out the contracts, mm-hmm. which I think works for both teams. It does. My, my concern for that will be from the Boston side. They are giving up a lot for a guy who, well, I mean, when he was at Orlando, he was by far the best centre in the league. I'm not sure now if he makes most people's top fives. And if he does, it's better, because he's nowhere near the top two. He's nowhere near Cousins or Gasol. No, he's not, but you make trades based on needs, which is why um, Cleveland gave up so much to get Timothy Moskov. And Boston have a need. Their biggest issue is they have no rim protection. Their centre play is pretty awful. And Avery Bradley has already made it known he is not happy with his current contract. And um, David Lee's an expiring contract. So really the only guy they're giving up is um, Zeller or Olenek. And if you give it one of them for Dwight Howard, you do it without question. Yeah, I would, I would certainly agree with that. He'd certainly push them. I think I wouldn't say it would push them towards the Cavs, but I think it would push them towards... Toronto, is that fair to say? If they got yeah, it gets, it gets them, elevates them to fourth or fifth. I don't think they reached the heights of 
like I said, Cleveland, but they could push Toronto, they could push Chicago. I don't think they're as good, but it closes the gap. Yeah, there's certainly certainly an element of that. From the Rockets side of it, you know, this sort of Maury ball, you know, Daryl Maury's the Rockets GM, Maury ball is what he uh, titles his moves. Sort of this boom or bust approach. Would you say the Dwight Howard trade was a failure or do you think that's harsh? Well, it wasn't a trade, actually, I don't think. But has it been a failure or was that harsh to say? I think it has based on the fact that you get James Harden entering the prime. Well, not even the prime. He's only, what, 24, 25? Yeah. You get James Harden, who's probably the best shooting guard in the NBA. You get Dwight Howard, who at that stage was still considered one of the top two centers in the NBA. You win it, you you go for a title, and they've not won a title. So, by that logic, they are it is a failure. Do you know what annoys me about Dwight Howard is that he he sort of talks about. You mentioned it a minute ago. He likes teams that shoot outside for him, and he wants a good coach. He had that in Orlando, and he got him fired in Stan Van Gundy. So, do you? Do you think Boston will be looking at his personality and maybe avoiding it? Because Stan Van Gundy is an elite coach and you know, Dwight got him fired. I don't know. I, the thing is, it's hard to tell with Brad Stevens because Brad Stevens has never had a big-name player. It's like people rave about how good Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder are, but they're, they're not big names. Whereas Dwight's this big-name, big-ego I think Stevens can control it and, you know, convince him because he's that good of a coach. But it's going to take a lot because I I bet when Dwight gets pissed, he gets pissed big time. Yeah, there's certainly that side of, of his, uh, well, it's more his personality than his game that we've all come to hear about. But I kind of, my sole force on this, I don't know if you agree, but I think, I, I'm not sure what it would mean for Houston because... The the worrying thing for them might be that they might become what Dallas have been for the last couple of years, where they're sort of, you know, they they're making the playoffs, but they're not really doing anything in the playoffs. Because as as good as people like Avery Bradley are, are they realistically pushing them towards Golden State and San Antonio and Oklahoma City? I don't think it, they do, but I think you you only need one or well, LeBron has taken worse teams than Houston have to the finals. And I'm not saying James Harden is LeBron, but if you actually put a decent team around him and try and strengthen your weaknesses, you have a shot. And Dwight Howard is not the player he once was. And if you were to get the likes of Zelda and Bradley, that gives you viable bench options, which Houston haven't had. That was their issue last year. Josh Smith is, is a bad player. Yeah, they traded for him, didn't they? They got him back. I don't know why. Yeah. So, and they've got like Donatas Modiunis is a free agent at the end of this season. I'm fairly sure Terrence Jones is too. So they need a power forward, which is why Zella or Olinick makes sense. Mm-hmm. And Avery Bradley, you love three and D guys. I love three and D guys. He's a very good three and D guy. Yes, he is. He he was always underrated, wasn't he, on that Boston team that had you know the well the big three. Well, yeah, he's a, he's a lockdown defender. It's very, and this year yeah. he's taking his... I think he's shooting about 38% for free. Well, in those Miami so, series, they didn't actually stick Ray Allen on Dwayne Wade. They stuck Avery Bradley on him because of the job he did. 
Yeah, you play to your strengths, and that's what Bradley's strength is. So if Houston got him, then that makes up for James Harden's deficiency as a defender, which is a pretty big one. Yeah, that is certainly a big, big deficiency about them. And I think I think what you also get of Harden is I think you could play Bradley and Harden at the same time because Harden doesn't need a point guard next to him because he brings the ball up often. Yeah, that's true. Which literally, you have your offensive threat and an outside shot with Avery Brad uh, with James Harden, but then you've got a guy who can step out and defend the guard. Like Avery Bradley could do a job on Steph Curry, I reckon. Yeah, he's one of the few I would definitely sort of say could do a job on him. You know that that's a pretty elite club. You've got like Tony Allen, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Avery Bradley. And Damari Carroll, I think, could do a job that can't think of many more off the top of my head. Yeah, it's a, like you said, it's not a big group, and Avery Bradley can legitimately do it. He can indeed. So that that's one to watch. We're going to come back to the Rockets later. We're going to talk about how they've changed in since Kevin McHale got fired back in. I think it was November. So we're going to move on to another trade candidate, and that is well, it's two trade candidates actually. It's the Atlanta Hawks. They are supposedly shopping, Jeff Teague and Al Horford. I just want to get your, um, before we again look at the logistics and the specifics, what do you make of the news? Why why do you think Atlanta are doing this? I think they realise that they're not ready to compete with Cleveland. I don't think they were as good as, I think last year, a lot of teams in the East were down, which is what I said about Boston and Milwaukee before this season. And I think Atlanta they looked better because of that, because Cleveland started off so bad. But they're not the same team. They've basically got the same team as last year, minus Damari Carroll, and they're nothing the same. And I think Bud has realised that he needs to get younger, develop some guys, and then build around a key guy, which obviously is Paul Millsap. And they could get a lot back for Horford and Teague. Well, what it symbolised for me is that I think when people have always looked at Atlanta's team, they've always sort of gone, well, who's the best player? It could be any of them. I think it, to me, solidifies the fact that Budenholzer, because he's the GM, isn't he, as well as the coach, I, yeah. I think he sees um, Millsap as the best player on that team. And I agree with him. I think he is too. I do too. He's one of the more underrated power forwards in the NBA. I just think that you need a big, at least two good players. And if you move Teague and Horford, it's going to be very hard to get that second guy next to Millsap. Yes. Um, one of the teams, it's actually a team we've just chatted about, the Boston Celtics. So what? what, what is your rant? Because you told me you wanted to go on a rant. What is your rant regarding this? Right. Boston Celtics fans. You have built these built up these assets over the last few years. You've got the Brooklyn picks. You've got all these players that you can trade, and yet you're you're supposedly in talks over a big name such as Blake Griffin or Al Horford, and none of you want to give any up. You think every player is untouchable. You build assets to trade for a big name player, not just to keep and hide away. So you get a chance to get Al Horford, who would elevate your team massively. You do it. doesn't matter who you give up. I'm curious to say, because I completely agree with you, I think Boston fans are sort of thinking, oh, I don't know, we'll give up Terry Rozier and a second rounder in, in the uh, 22nd century, and we'll get given one of these 
great players like Al Horford, but who do you see? Because the three untouchables I see on that roster are Thomas Crowder and I'd probably throw Marcus Smart in there as well just because I think he's got a high ceiling. Are there, are there any other people you think are untouchable on that roster? The, the only guy I think untouchable is Jake Crowder. I think Isaiah Thomas can be moved. I think Marcus Smart can be moved. Literally the only things I don't move are the Brooklyn pick and Jake Crowder. That's it. Listening, yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely because Isaiah that. Thomas isn't a starting point guard. Well, no, it's, he's clean. No, he's a bad defender. And if you can move him for a starting point guard, such as Jack Teague, you do it. Yeah, I think the reason Thomas puts such good stats is because he comes up against bench units, doesn't he? He just tortures them, and that was kind yeah, of. Does, which... But that, that was what he did in Sacramento, wasn't it? They started. They remember. started Darren Collison. Yeah, it was, you're right, it was Collison. And then Thomas would just come in and because they didn't have any proper coaching staff, he'd just run ISO for himself and stuff his stat. Don't get me wrong, this isn't a dig at Isaiah, but I'm not sure he's as good a player as everyone thinks he is. No, he's not. I, mean, I don't think he deserved his all-star spot, but hey-ho. Well, I thought Reggie Jackson should have got it, but that, that is for another time, of course. Um, we'll go back to the Teague and Horford thing. Jeff Teague... He's clearly very good. I think me, you and Fahad spoke about him a while back. He's a very steady point guard who does all the basics really well. He's very well-rounded. He's sort of an 18, I don't know, an 18, 5, and 7 kind of point guard, isn't he? What The thing is, the thing I'm not getting is the most important position on a basketball team is the point guard. Why would they trade a good one? Because they think Dennis Schroeder is the future. And I've watched That's a lot of Schroeder. So have I. I watch Atlanta a lot because I love their ball movement. And it, and obviously it's good for the time difference because they start at midnight our time. He's not the answer. He is not good. I'm sorry. I'm going to flat out say it. If Minnesota traded for him, I'd be disappointed. And our backup is, point guard is Andre Miller. I'd be a, disappointed. A lot of Hawks fans will have fallen for the FIBA champ, like, games and he was very good at the FIBA World Cup or Eurobasket sorry uh, he played really well because it was him and Dirk and basically nobody else but he's not looked the same in the NBA he gets the ball and he doesn't create for he doesn't like he doesn't get Kyle Corver open or find the open guy he's a bit of a solo he'll, go, he'll drive to the basket unnecessarily Jeff Teague is a great distributor Great court vision. I don't know why you pick Schroeder over him. Well, the thing, the thing I find with Schroeder is he's a typical backup point. He reminds me of like Nate Robinson or um, who's another one. Do you know the kind of point? I mean, the sort of really high energy ones who literally they get the ball and they just think I'm going to drive straight to the basket and they just run into the paint. They they go off on an adventure and yeah, it, it's, I wouldn't want someone like that running my bench unit. I I. Took him wrong. He's probably better than what my team have got, but that that doesn't matter here. It's just I, as a bench guy, I can I can deal with it. I, he should not be starting unless it's on like a team that unless it's on a LeBron team because obviously Mario Chalmers was their starting point guard for a while in Miami. So I don't know how they think he can run the point effectively. I don't either, and I don't think. He works particularly. He's. I don't think he's got not got the chemistry that Jeff T's got. They've been together for so long. You're taking away that sense of continuity and consistency for a guy who 
has shown a few flashes, but has shown more to show he's not a starting point guard. I, I, you're throwing away a lot for a guy who's a big risk. Yeah, it is indeed. And obviously, you're talking about Bud wants to get these these young talents, and I kind of think it's a, a big risk. And not just for the room, but who says they're going to get good players back? Well, if they trade Horford, they would. If they trade Teague, they're going to get good players back, but they're not going to get great players back. Something I would love, I don't know if it, I've not really researched it. I'd love to see Al Horford in Portland, but I don't know if it's realistic. I don't know what their cap room is like. Portland, I believe, are like 20 million under the cap. So, yeah, they could. And so they can got, absorb a massive contract. Yeah, and they've got a lot of pieces as well. Yeah, they do. Ed Davis, Al Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless. Gerald All Anderson. guys that could probably be moved. Certainly. And I, what I think Alain needs. I, I kind of. I'm leaning more towards the fact that I think this is a good move from Boone Holzer. Sadly, you can't win without a star. So he's going to try and make one, isn't he? He's going to try and do what Pop did with Leonard. He's going to try and find someone and develop them. The, un- the interesting thing I saw, you said the Brooklyn pit was untouchable. I think if there was a bumper trade, they would have to give up either the Brooklyn pick for this year, or I think next year they have the ability to swap picks. It's pick swaps, yeah. They might have. They could. They'd have to give that up because I think they want a pick. I don't think they. They don't want Jared Sullinger. They don't want Terry Rosier. They don't want. I don't even think they want Marcus Smart. They want to pick their own young player. Well, what they want is Ben Simmons. <laughs> Yes, I, I think, yeah. Let's be honest, that's what they want. I don't think Boston will give up that Brooklyn pick under any circumstances because I don't think Brad Stevens could live with himself if it became Ben Simmons. Yeah, no way do you make that move. Not a chance. Sadly, I I kind of think that's what Hawthorne and Teague are worth. I think Hawthorne and Teague make that team, well, better than... If I- Boston would manage to keep Isaiah Thomas... Keep Jay Crowder, get Jeff Teague, and get Al Horford. They're probably the second best team in the East. Well, it's them or Toronto. Take your pick, and I think the big advantage they've got is coaching. Um, Brad Stevens is a lot better. Question. A lot better than Dwayne Casey's had a good year, in fairness, but Brad Stevens blows him out of the water. So th- th- there's a lot to think about with this trade. That's sort of one what I'm thinking about. Any other teams you think could do with them? In fact, actually, we were going to transition. You said that... Which team did you say were interested in, Jeff Teague? The Utah Jazz. Okay, well, tell me your thoughts. Do you think... What what would he... Why would they go for him? And don't just say because they haven't got a point guard. Well, they'd go for him because they haven't got a point guard, but even if they do have a point guard, like I really like Dante Exum. He's a good defender. He's not very good offensively. And I think they have the pieces such as Jeff Withy, Trevor Booker, Alec Burks, who they could trade. They fill the needs for Atlanta and give Utah a legit point guard, which they need. I like, like I said, I like Exxon, but he's not going to push them over the edge in the playoffs. See, I think Alec, Bur- I think Alec Burks can develop into a star. I really like Alec Burks, but Utah, I don't think they want to keep him. Well, no, I, I don't either. I think it's because because he's a Gordon ball Hayward can play the two. Well, he's a ball stopper as well, Alec Burks at times, and I think Utah have got two post players. I don't think they want a guard who stops the ball as well. 
I think Atlanta could use a guy like Alec Burks because Culver's been awful this year. Tim Hardaway's been okay in spots, but Alec Burks is an explosive two guard. It's a position better, and Burks can do that. And Trevor Booker or Jeff Withey gives them rebounding because Split has been bad. Horford has never been a great rebounder, so they they at least fill that need for them. Yeah, I think the thing is about Burks that he brings is he can create his own shot. I think Atlanta lack that. they got beautiful ball movement, but there are times, and as much as I hate isolation, one-on-one basketball, there are times when basketball will turn into that. And I don't think Yeah, of course it will. I don't think they've got a guy who can do that. Teague is probably their option, but I don't think he's good at that. That's not no, and with Burks, what I like about Burks is... He's not afraid to go at LeBron, for example. Yeah. He isn't just going to say, oh, you're better than me. I'm going to pass the ball. If he, if nobody's open, he's going to make a drive for the basket. And quite a lot of the time, he makes it. He's pretty damn good at getting to the basket. He certainly is. And there's the thing I like about Utah as a franchise, a bit of an odd transition that, but they've got, we've, the sort of theme of today's podcast has been assets stacking, and they've got quite a lot of assets. Utah, I don't think people realise, but they've got yeah, they do. Well, they've got Trevor Booker, they've got Jeff Withy, they've got Joe Ingles, Rodney Hood. Yes, Rodney Hood. Well, Exum, Trey Burke. Yeah, not, I, Exum. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of Trey Burke. The best thing, um, the best thing the late Flip Saunders did was flipping for Shabazz because Shabazz is a lot better, but um. Utah, yeah, they've got some... But, yeah, I think yeah, that's a Trey really good a trade. Who, as a backup point guard, is one of the guys you said. He can just go. He goes in and he just goes for the basket. He's basically Dennis Schroeder, but with slightly worse defense. That's the way I see him. I kind of think of yeah. a trade. I'm looking at this roster now. I'm thinking Raul Neto, Alec Burks. Yeah, that will do. I think Raul Neto and Alec Burks for Jeff T. I think you'd have to throw in a pick. A second-round pick, probably. Yeah, second-round. That, for me, is fair. But Burks is injured at the moment, so I don't know if that would um, stop. That would change the Atlanta Hawks' mind. I, I, I don't think they think they're going to win it this year. And if I think Burks has got another two years left on his contract. So I th- they may do it and just say, OK, we'll wait till he's healthy again and then just roll with it next year. Because everybody's going to have cap room this summer. Yes. So why not make a move now, build for the future? No, you're right. I I, I like the idea of um of this trade, but we are going to move on from trade. We're going to break up the podcast with a bit of a uh, light-hearted stuff. So uh, we'll go. I've got a story about Sam Mitchell that I forgot to tell you before the pod. But tell these guys what Byron Scott has done this week. Right. Well, he had a quote which was typical sports management cliche which was in this bad stretch I'm going to see which guys I'd have next to me in the trenches because in this period that's what we can do also he benched D'Angelo Russell who's apparently available for trade because he's too cocky and then complained that his team had no confidence which makes no sense this guy you know we it might sound like a broken record to some listeners, but I I still don't believe what comes out of his mouth sometimes. He's a walking contradiction. 
He is. And what, what, what's even funnier is the LA Lakers had a pre- I think it was Genie Bus said that um, they are using the remainder of this season as a tryout for Byron Scott. As if the rest of the season so far didn't count and it's just this from now on. <laughs> the, yeah, Byron is just... It's not even his coaching ability because some, some people are bad coaches but really nice people. Tyrone Corbin, for example, is a bad coach. He's a very nice guy. He doesn't talk crap. And is in, Byron Scott, I think I don't know what he's got against D'Angelo Russell. I, I don't know what he's done to him. But I don't know what any young player has done to him. He seems to have a problem with players that are younger than Kobe Bryant. Maybe it's because they're more talented than he ever was. I know Byron Scott won quite a lot of stuff, but uh, I don't think he was ever a particularly great player. I, I, I really don't know what it is, but you've got D'Angelo Russell. You draft him second overall. Even if you don't want him as a coach, if you're given a player, it is your job to coach them and get the best out of them. He's not doing that. And like, if D'Angelo Russell is moved, it's because Byron Scott is keeping his job. Because any coach wanting that job would want to keep D'Angelo Russell. Well, yeah, they'd probably build around Russell and... I'm not a big Russell Julius Randle fan. Backcourt. Well, Russell and Cosmo well, and then probably Julius Randle because I don't think he's great, but he's better than everything else they've got. He's better than Roy Hibbert and Tariq Black, who I think they've still got. Ryan Kelly... <laughs> Oh my, yeah, they've got some bad players, man. But yeah, Byron Scott is an idiot. Well, Sam Mitchell had another one. Right, Sam Mitchell, I don't think he's actually that horrendous of a coach. But he is... The thing is with him... Sam Mitchell, he he makes it so difficult for you to like him because he's so awkward. And he's so, so... So yesterday he was asked about Kobe Bryant. And he said, I hate him. If I if I don't ever see him again, it will be too soon. I hate him. And then and then afterwards they were sort of saying Well, they were essentially asking him about Kobe and they're like, Oh yeah, he's a good player, isn't he? And Sam Mitchell just goes, Every team's got good players. I don't care about him. He's just I don't like Kobe either, but he just He just makes it so difficult for you to like him. He really does. I was listening to um, the Ion Basketball podcast and Zach Harper was telling a story that last week he was interviewing Sam Mitchell and he told him he'd ask him about Kevin Garnett and that's exactly what I asked him about. But um, Mitchell at one point got so angry with him that he told him to leave his office. Zach Harper refused to leave his office and then suddenly had a change of personality and was really jolly with him asking questions, answering the questions. Like, why do you have to be so difficult? <laughs> but that's what he is. No sense. He's he's so weird. He, he, I mean, I'm not even going to talk about him as a coach, but it's just a person. He's a strange guy. He's a very he's a bad coach, though. He is. I, I kind of feel for him on the offensive side because we don't have any shooters, but apart from Damian Rudess, who you don't want to be giving him twenty twenty five minutes. But I think the reason Mitchell hates him is because he. Kobe put up 80, was it 81 or 82 points on him? 81. Yeah, Sam Mitchell was the coach, that's right, I would assume. So maybe that's why, but he doesn't, I don't think Mitchell, I think he doesn't actually like Kobe. I don't blame him, I don't like Kobe either. (laughs) No, I'm not a huge fan, but yeah, Sam Mitchell, 
strange guy, strange guy. But yeah, we'll try to break up the podcast, but we're going to go back to the more serious stuff now because we can't talk about Byron Scott and Byron and uh, Sam Mitchell being weird forever. So we spoke about the Rockets earlier, but that was more of the trade stuff. We're going to talk about, well, how they've been recently. So about three months ago, they decided to fire Kevin McHale, which me and Thomas were pleased with because McHale was rubbish. They replaced him a bit uninspiring with JB Bickerstaff. What have you made of them under him so far? I think they've been pretty good. Not great, but they've been they've been a lot more competitive. James Harden seems to be trying a bit more defensively. Still isn't very good because he's awful defensively. The, the one thing that I, I just don't get their point guard situation, I don't care who your coach is, that point guard situation just doesn't make sense. And that's their biggest issue for me. But everywhere else, they seem to have made improvements. What What doesn't make sense about it to you? I just don't think either of the guards they have suit playing next to James Harden. Oh yeah, I kind of agree with you. But what kind of guard do you think is perfect next to James Harden? Oh, I don't. <sighs> See, I, I think Jeff Teague would work really well there. I think he's unselfish. He wouldn't mind letting James Harden run the show, but he has the ability to do stuff himself. Whereas Tyler Lawson. Is very his best is when he has the ball in his hands and he can create. He can't do that in Houston. And Patrick Beverly isn't great, isn't very good as a creator. He's better off the ball, but he's more of a defender. Whereas they don't have anybody who can play to Harden's strengths and play with him. So you're saying they need a playmaker next to him, an they unselfish do. playmaker. They do. I think Harden, as good as he is, he can create his own shot. If it was up to him, he'd run ISOs all the time. Yes, he would. And they need a guy to take the ball off him, create for him, and get him open. Because he takes a lot of shots with two or three men on him. Yeah, he does. So if they could get a Teague or even a healthy Drew Holiday could do that. Mm. Yeah, there's certainly options for the rest. But the thing I've noticed about Bickerstaff since he's come in, and it's sort of in reference, under McHale, basically, the tactic was, right... Give it to you hard and run around for twenty seconds and either fling it into Howard or shoot. There's there was no off the ball movement. You know, if they'd run horn, so Harden would be at the top and you just stick two or three people in the corners. But now there's more off the ball movement, there's more screens being set. And I don't know why it wasn't happening before, but it is now. And they've got people like Marcus Thornton stepping up and being useful role players, which I never thought I'd say. That that's been the main difference for me. Uh, my thing I saw a stat about James Harden which is pretty good in the last 21 days he is first in points second in assists and third in rebounds for guards which is pretty damn impressive it is and I think the assist is because they're getting more off the ball because before if he got an assist it would be a driving dish with like two seconds on the shot clock they're much more composed as a team I just think I think also there's more intensity whenever I watch them under McHale and this was the same in the playoffs last year I felt they were too relaxed they, they were just sort of yeah we'll go out we might win we might not I thought they were quite unprofessional in the um, in the Warriors I know the Warriors are very good but they didn't even put up a fight they didn't make the Warriors work for anything on either end I just think Big Staff has come in and there's a bit more discipline about this team which shouldn't surprise anybody because I think Bickerstaff 
knew that he... I don't think he's getting the job long-term, but he has to try and prove that he can coach because he, he could get a job elsewhere. Yes. And in all, he has got James Harden to try harder, which takes a lot. So I think Bickerstaff came in with this mentality that he's going to try and put his stamp on the team, show people what he can do. And hopefully, because he's got some talented players, they do step up. And they've done a pretty good job of it. Like you said, Clint Capella... He's stepped up big time this year. He's really good. Yeah, I think that's why I've, I mentioned it, but I'll repeat it again. That's why I think it makes sense to move Howard because Capella looks like a starting caliber NBA center. He's not gonna. It's nothing you write home about, but I see him as like a Robin Lopez type. He, he, I'm not saying he plays the same as Robin Lopez, but he does all the dirty work and lets everyone else thrive. Yeah, he needs to learn to shoot free throws though, because he's yes. in the same category as DeAndre Jordan. I think he shoots about well, 40, 50. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that's it's not ideal, that. But Houston Rockets, seventh seed now. Is that where you think they'll finish? Or do you think they can sneak above Dallas or Memphis? Or do you think they're set in seventh? I think seventh is about as good as they can get. And considering the terrible start they had, they can't really complain, can they? No, they can't. He's definitely, I think he's steadied the ship. I'm not saying he's turned the team around. But he's got them playing better basketball. Not that it could have gotten a lot worse. And they've got a lot. Well, yeah, of he wasn't. He was never going to, you know, perform miracles with them. But he has made them play what you'd expect of a Rockets team. Yes. So, I mean, fair play to the guy because I thought that team was going to just completely collapse after Mikhail was fired. Yes, you go. We go. Give him credit, and we will give him credit. So, move on. We're going to talk about snakes now. So, uh, Tyron Lou, <laughs> um, he's five and one, I think, as Cavs head coach. He could go six and one tonight. They play the Hornets. Obviously, that's outdated now because uh, this would have been released after the game. But look, I, I'm not a big Tyron Lou fan. I think the way he's acted is completely unprofessional. But Matt and uh, Mike covered that. But he's five and one. They've looked better under him I guess do you think that's just sort of the old cliche of new manager effect do you think that's what it is or do you think he's actually doing something different I think the team's just more comfortable not having David Blatt I think literally any coach in the NBA could have stepped into that job and because they weren't David Blatt the team was going to play better LeBron was going to play better that's all it is I don't think Ty Lue does anything that makes you right makes you right home and say oh he's a good coach I think it's all about that they're just happy that the situation has changed. I don't understand what was wrong with Dave Black, because whenever you watch interviews, he seems like a really nice guy. Like, if it was a Sam Mitchell... If it was a Sam Mitchell-type character, I'd be like, okay, I get he's a dick, but David Black seems really nice. He was a bit of a dick in, like, press conferences and interviews, though. Like, quite a few guys this week, including Zach Lowe, have come out and said that when they were interviewing him, like, about playing in an NBA Finals or playing in the playoffs or playing in front of the president, he's turned around and said, yeah, well, I've played in front of plenty of presidents. I've played in plenty of championship games before. Obviously referring to Europe. And apparently just rubbed people the wrong way because he thought that he was better than everyone. But his record speaks for itself. See, I'd read that the other way because when he came to America, everyone was like, oh, Europe's easy, you know, Europe's this, Europe's that. He's probably just thinking, well... You know, he's maybe trying to defend himself a bit because, quite frankly, I think he was treated terribly by the media. 
and just by the average NBA fan. And LeBron. Yeah, Le- Who completely slagged him off in front of people. Yeah, I think the problem with the Cavs is, and I think this is why, I think the reason the Heat won two rings, it was, yes, it was because of the big three and Spolstra. I think it's because of Pat Riley, mainly, because not only did Pat Riley build that team, but Pat Riley, you don't cross him. Like He is a, I wouldn't say he's a dictator, but he's, he's an, he rules with an iron fist. If you... You you listened to him basically, and LeBron reportedly wanted Spolstra fired back in 2012. Pat Riley said no. Cleveland don't have that kind of upper management structure for me, and I think that's their big problem. It is because David Griffin and Dan Gilbert they owe everything to LeBron. Without yes. LeBron, uh, yes, they are they. irrelevant. Yeah, they're they're a rubber stamp. Sorry, yeah, rubber stamp kind of pairing. They like LeBron goes, yeah, I want this. Yeah, okay, LeBron, you can have that. Yeah, and because he's just going to keep signing these one-on-one deals, he's just going to have them bent over a barrel every year because he has the option of just leaving yeah, at any point. Right. Completely agree with that. Obviously, uh, back to Ty Lue, the only the only one thing I notice, really, that they're doing different is they're actually using Kevin Love properly because I hate when people call Kevin Love overrated because he's not. They just don't use him properly. They, they used to just stick him in the corner. And he's right. He's obviously going to be pissed off that you're just sticking him in the corner and not giving him the ball. So when the ball, you know, if you're not in the right mentality and the ball comes to you, you're not going to shoot it in most of the time. So I'm, I'm kind of happy they're using him properly. But do you think that's because Ty Lue has said we need to do this, or because now that they've fired Flat, LeBron has realised that he has to do something to change his image, and if he's now suddenly willing to give up the shot for Kevin Love and put Love in the right position. It kind of makes him look better and gets his friend Ty Lue to look better. Because I, I, I think if no, if everybody was fine with Black being fired and didn't blame LeBron, they're, they're playing the exact same style of basketball for me. Well, they are. It's a lot of one-on-one, isn't it? And sort of pretty boring, actually, to watch. I think LeBron is very aware of the media, very aware of his perception. And people instantly blamed him. He got black fired. Well, he still does. If you go on the Facebook page of, of anything, it's all the jokes at the moment are like, oh, LeBron got this guy fired, and it'll be about baseball or something. Because he just seems to have all the control in that franchise from the outside. He does. And I think it was his choice... Not to say, look, you have to use Kevin Love like this, but he wants the ball, and he's going to put himself in position to get the ball. And if that means putting Kevin Love in a position where he's going to fail, LeBron probably doesn't care. No, well, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to care about a lot, to be honest. But uh, the, thing I'd love is- to, the thing is, I'd love to see Ty Lue coach a team that doesn't have LeBron. I'd love to see David Black go just in and does not have LeBron. It's hard to say how good a coach is when their very first gig to get LeBron bringing James. Well, you can say the same about Spolster, to be fair. Well, yeah, you can. Or do you, or do you see it as a bit different? But LeBron has now left Miami and Spolster is still there and he's still got a good team. Yeah. And he's clearly a good game planner as well, Spolster. Yeah, whereas... Tyloo's just had this, these six, seven games after tonight. So you can't really 
say, oh, it's because of Tai Lu. It's too small of a window. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I don't even think you can judge him in the playoffs unless he goes and wins the whole thing, which he's not going to. So, moving on to another team that we're going to see in the East, uh, Charlotte. Michael Gilchrist is about what what kind of a boost does that give them? Gives them a huge boost, especially considering they're in the playoff hunt. And as soon as he went down, everybody I know, especially Mark Benson, were gutted and thought that Charlotte's season was over before it even began. Yeah, I think Mark was always like, oh, we'll fight for eighth seed, we'll give it our best. And uh, but they're very close. Uh, they are. Steve Clifford's brilliant, isn't he? He is, and so is Kemba Walker, who would have been my choice for the final All-Star spot. <laughs> yeah, I like Kemba as well. He's good. And Nicholas Batum's having a fantastic season. They've just got... Clifford's just got guys playing at a level that they've never played at before. And I can't wait to see what he does with MKG when he's back. Because MKG is actually a decent mid-range shooter. Which people seem to forget. They think he's awful because his jump shot is ugly and he's got no three-point shot. Yeah, I I kind of think the thing I've all, I've liked about Charlotte this year, I think they're very good at both ends of the floor. Like you look at the other teams in there. Indiana are a good defensive team. They're not a good offensive team. Washington are the opposite. Their offense is actually pretty good. They run it nicely, but their defense is trash. To be honest with you. And then Milwaukee are just a mess. New York, I don't really know what's wrong with New York, but something's not quite right there. But I think Charlotte are going to get that eighth seed, maybe even push above Detroit and get into seven and not Detroit down to eight. Because I see Detroit as a definite playoff team now. But do you think Kid Gilchrist gives them that advantage or do you think they already had the advantage going into that eighth seed race? I think it was basically a coin toss, but you get... What, probably the second best defender in the NBA wing defender I mean it improves the team you can't argue that fact and he's he is what makes their defence so good so I'd imagine their defence is going to take massive strides with him back now they're going to be hard to play against and we'll probably get the eighth seed probably could possibly get seventh like you said I really hope so because I like watching them I don't think they'll do anything in the playoffs, but I think they'll be tough. If Cleveland's got an eighth seed Charlotte, and you've got Michael K. Gilchrist bugging LeBron James for six or seven games, I don't think the rest of that Cleveland team is going to be up for a fight. I think they'll get through, but they will be properly battle-tested. Yeah, I do as well. I think it'll be a lot harder for them than it was last year against... Well, I can't even remember. They They played Boston round one. Yeah, they torched them, didn't they? Yeah, Evan yeah. Turner against LeBron James. <laughs> yeah, it's not, that's not an ideal situation for them. I will like to bring one thing up, and this has always bugged me about American athletes. How come whenever an American athlete gets injured, it comes up with their expected timetable for recovery is nine months, for example. Five months later, they're apparently ready to play. I'm assuming it's just... Uh... Advancements in medical field. Well, you'd like to think so, because like Adrian Peterson in the NFL, he apparently played an entire season injured, and then came back, missed time, and then rushed, rushed for 2,000 yards, was it? Yes. And it's just like, you never hear about that in British sports. You don't hear like David Beckham 
did something to his foot. He's out 12 weeks. Three weeks later, he's back. Just seems a bit odd, that's all. Yeah, this certainly is a bit odd. But great news, I'm sure Charlotte Hornets fans don't care how odd it is. It's it's interesting times for them. Uh, well, anything else left to talk about? The Phoenix Suns. Oh yes, that was it. Right, Jeff Hornacek was fired. How harsh of an hour was on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being deserved and 10 just being so undeserved? Uh... I don't know, I think, I'd say five, because I think he has been pretty bad this year, but he has probably overachieved given what he had when he got there. Mm-hmm. So, I'd, I'd say it's a five, because they've been awful this year. Like, really bad. They have, the, the, the only sort of thing I'd put play on it, I don't think they had a defensive system. I know they're a run-and-gun team, but you've, you've got to have some kind of defensive system. Even if it is just, right, we'll stick Howard in the uh, passing lane and we'll put Bledsoe on their best guy. That, that for me, is good enough, but they, they were just so bad. But I think the uh, GM should have been fired. I think he had an absolutely shocking summer. I is think it McDonough? Tyson, yeah, Ryan McDonough. I think the, the Tyson Chandler The Tyson Chandler deal is the worst in the NBA. That will haunt them for a long time. I think Toletovic is an okay pickup. I think he screwed up the whole Markeith Morris thing. Just get rid of him. If you don't want him, get rid of him. Stop arsing around and sort of going, oh, we might trade him, we might not. Get rid of him. Uh, TJ Warren, it took him ages to actually get into the team. He's now injured for the rest of the year. Yes. So they're actually, they're without Bledsoe Knight and Warren. I think their backcourt last night, because Ronnie Price is injured as well, I think their backcourt was Archie Goodwin at point guard played alongside Devin Booker. The the only positive for Phoenix is that Devin Booker is getting minutes and he's actually looking half decent. Although yeah, he's a hell of a shooter. Well yeah, that I think the thing is with him, I, I'm still um taking a back seat on him because I think it's easy to look good on a team like this that play up tempo and all he's got to do is shoot and that's what he's good at. So I'm not gonna sort of say, oh he's a great pick in this draft. We don't know yet. But the Suns, the, yeah, they have screwed it. They have, and the one thing that's really weird is that the Suns historically have been known for having this amazing medical staff. Like, they're supposed to have the best training staff in the NBA, and yet they can't keep a single player healthy. Yeah. What the hell's happened? Because, like, on the days of Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, I don't think either of them missed significant time. And this year, like, the Bledsoe's out, Knight's out. Ronnie Price is out. Bloody TJ Warren's out. Are they going to keep a guy healthy? Because it'd be great if they did. Because they can't even trade half of them now because they're injured. Well, they're keeping Markeith Morris healthy, but I'm sure as Ross will tell you, that's not a good thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think PJ Tucker's missed time too. He has, but uh, that's the next guy we'll talk about. He's on the trade block. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me, and I think a team like Cleveland could use a defensive wing like PJ Tucker. He can shoot the three pretty well, too. They need to try and trade Tyson Chandler because he just stunts their growth in the future because of his contract. I mean, who is going to take that contract? I have no idea. I don't know why you give a 32-year-old a $52 million contract. He's 33 now. I mean, that's either, obviously, that's at the time he's 32, but I mean, it's just not worth it. He's awful. <laughs> and you could develop Alex Len. And you yeah, haven't that, with Tyson Chandler. 
That's why I didn't get Alex Len. I think he's got his flaws, but he, every 22 year old has got flaws. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns has flaws, and that guy looks like a Hall of Famer. So, you know, Len, can, he, can, he can actually shoot the ball, Len, so that surely helps their um, run and gun offense. You'd imagine it would, but you won't know. You don't bloody know because they won't bloody play him. Yeah, they think Tyson Chandler's better. And they've got Earl Watson as a head coach now, as the interim coach. Yeah, that's got to surely just be till the end of the season. It's got to be. If he, if he keeps that job, I'd be amazed. See, the I think the favourite to go there. Well, they want Steve Nash, but Nash doesn't want it. And Mike D'Antoni going back there. I was, I was just going to say that. I'd love that. I love Mike D'Antoni. He's great. I think he's the favourite to get the job. The thing, the thing that annoys me now is Tom Thibodeau gets linked to every job, and the fan of every, they always go, oh, "Thibodeau would be brilliant for this job." No, he wouldn't. He'd run Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight into the ground. They'd be dead. Yeah, but if he did that to Tyson Chandler, they might be able to get out of this contract. That's <laughs> true. But yeah, Thibodeau getting linked to every job—that's my rant. It really annoys me. The Dungaree—he's a very, very good coach, but you. He's got to be in the right situation. Like, he keeps getting linked to the Minnesota job. He could not be a worse fit for this team. Yeah, if, if I was a Wolves fan like you are, you've got this team stacked with potential. You do not want it ran into the ground after two years. No, I don't want Carl Anthony Towns playing like 45 minutes a game. Turned into Joachim Noah. Oh my God, yeah. I I think Phoenix, I, I'd love to see Mike D'Antoni back there. He plays a brilliant basketball. Well, it makes sense, because Phoenix... To be fair, what makes sense for Phoenix would probably get D'Antoni as the head coach and Steve Nash as the the associate head coach. Mm. Because then, if they do want to eventually give it to Nash, they can give him time to get his body right, because apparently he's still injured. And then they can turn it over to him if D'Antoni doesn't work out. I think they need to actually have a backup plan. And you're right, McDonough is a bad GM. He is indeed. They need a couple of things. Uh, the last one we'll talk about, Hornacek. Is he a good fit for Minnesota job or Brooklyn? Or what sort of jobs? I don't know. I think he could do a good job in Brooklyn. But to be fair, he could do a good job in Minnesota because when he went to Phoenix, they had a young team and he overachieved of them. So if he did something similar in Minnesota, they could work. it just depends who Minnesota have as a GM. Well, there's still Milt Newton at the moment. I think that's the thing surrounding us, is that no one really knows what we're going to do. No one knows who the coach is going to be next year. No one really knows anything. Would you be against Kevin Garnett getting the job if he wanted it? Yes. That would be a disaster. He's the sort of guy that would just shout at everyone because they're not as good as he was. That's what he does in training. <laughs> it's alright as a player. Like You can sort of go, oh, he's a great player now, but... You don't want that from your coach. And he'd probably get about 20 technicals a year as well. He'd start playing mind games with the other coaches. It's not trash talking. I'll tell you who I want to get the Minnesota job. David Blatton. That's who I want. I really want Vinny Del Negro to get the Timberwolves job. My only issue with Del Negro was in Clippers. Their offense was archaic. Like It was awful. It was just isolation forever. But is it... Is he a good developer? I don't really know a lot about him, so you can fill me in on him. Well, he got the Chicago job at a time when Chicago drafted Derrick Rose. They had this young team, 
and then they sudden and then suddenly the expectations changed. They went from we want you to develop this team to we want to win now. And then he got to the Clippers, and it was a team with a young Blake, a young DeAndre, and then suddenly they got Chris Paul. So the expectations changed again. He That's true. the two places he's been hired to coach big time is to develop players, and I think people know he can develop players, which Minnesota have players to develop. I think he could work really well. Yeah, we need a developer. I think what we'll do is we'll do what Orlando have done, although we have a lot more talent than Orlando. I think we'll we'll sort of get a, a developer in. And the problem is with developers, barring like Brad Stevens, most of them don't really know the X's and O's very well. So you get, like Scott Brooks is a great example of that. You get them in, they develop your players, and then you bin them for a more, well, a better coach, basically. Someone who knows basketball. But the, the problem with that is that you have to have some sort of foresight as to who you think is going to be available once your developer has reached their peak, basically. Yeah. Because, like, obviously Oklahoma, they've, they've not been... I mean, the team play is, gr- is great, but... Donovan's not exactly changing the shape of their team, is he? Well, he's not changed anything, has he? No, so you've got to make sure that when you're you're done with Scott Brooks, for example, you have the perfect long-term option there. Yes, you're right. Which could be Kevin Garnett, just saying. I mean, it just kind of scares me, that. (laughs) I'd rather he bought the team. That would make sense. I think you would. Yeah, it's interesting to see. We've we've got a lot to look forward to, but we are going to end the podcast there because Matt will kill me if it goes too too long again. So we hope you've enjoyed it. As I say every week, if you want us to talk about anything, just um, let us know on Twitter and we will discuss any topic. So it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Thomas. Goodbye. Why do we play? We play for jumpers, passers, shooters we play for driveway one-on-ones playground heroes and the clutch vet at the wide we play for balls shot callers game changers and life changers for breaking through breaking barriers and paradigms we play for this that and whatever comes this is why we play